In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. I was once visiting a hermit in his cave, and before leaving, I asked him for a beneficial word, Kinma um, before leaving. And the monk said to me, the only beneficial word I have for you <laughs> is death. He said, many people have said many impressive things. Many people have given advice, but the one thing that they all have in common is that they died. So the only word that they have for us from where they are is, is death. And as we discussed last week, I know this sounds morbid at first, as we discussed last week, at the end of the year, the church reserves to teach and exhort us on the end. The end of time, the end of ages of the world, which we talked about last week. Um, and also our own end, that there's an end to all things. There's this general end of the world and there's a specific end for each one of us. On the secular new year, this year in January, we spoke about renewal. And I want us to think a little bit about our death. We tend not to talk much about death, understandably, but we, we need to talk about it because it's going to happen. The one and only guarantee of life is that it's going to end at some point. It's the one thing that we are, are certain of. Death is inevitable. It comes upon absolutely everything in existence. And if there was death before the fall, it would have had no meaning. But our Lord didn't design us for death. He designed us for life. And He intended for us to live eternally. And that gift was supposed to be preserved by taking care of who we are. As we've discussed throughout the year, we didn't and don't take care of things the way that He designed them. And when we don't, that's when we find problems. The consequence is that we, that we die. Our Lord said the day that you eat of the tree, you will die. Again, not I will kill you, but you will die, right? You've made, you've, you've ruined something and now it can rot. So I want to ask the question, each of us should ask him or herself, what do you live for? Before we talk about death, you need to ask yourself, what do you live for? Is it for a spouse? Is it for friends? Is it for your career? What keeps you ticking? Because if it's your spouse, I'm sorry, but your spouse will pass away. If your spouse is the one who is the most meaningful, what will you do when that spouse is gone? Where will your meaning be found? For whom or for what will you live for at that point? Is it your kids? What happens if your kids renounce you and reject you? What happens if your kids move far away from you or cut ties with you? What if, God forbid, your child goes before you? For whom and for what will you live on that day? If it's your career, well, what if you get fired? What if you're disabled in a way that you can't do the job that you were doing before? What if you get too old? Is it for your riches? What if there is a recession again? Which there probably will be. What if the stock market crashes what if, like in Texas, a hurricane comes and takes all of it away 
in just a moment, an unplanned moment where everything is suddenly gone in Florida? What if you get grievously ill and either use up the funds that you have because of your illness or you can't enjoy the funds that you have because of your illness? What these all have in common is that the meaning is being placed in something limited, something finite, something that has an end. They might be variant in their limitations, some things might last longer than other things, but they all are limited. Let me ask another question. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Or phrased differently, what informs the decisions that you make? What is it that before you make a decision that you're calculating, that you're thinking about, that you're using to guide the decision that you make? Or is your decision completely arbitrary? To buy a house or not to buy a house, to smoke or not to smoke, to go to a certain place or not to go, to continue a friendship or not, to permit someone to do something to you or not, or for you to permit yourself or others to do something. How do you make this decision? What is going on in here? What is it that leads you to come to the conclusion that you reach? What is the goal that you have in mind? What is the driving force? Is it any of those things that we just talked about? Is it wealth, family, success, fame, popularity, social acceptance? Are these the things that drive us? Every great empire has fallen. Every single one. Every great person has died. So what on earth gives you meaning? And if the answer to those questions is anything on earth, then you are putting your meaning and your value and worth in one thing, and that's death. Because anything of the earth will die. So if your meaning is found somewhere here, it is something that is actually meaningless and finite. And the paradox or the irony of this is that death is being sold as having a life, right? Where people tell you, why don't you have a life? Get a life, right? I'm trying to have a life. But riches die, people die, friendships die, careers die, highs die, buzzes die, everything dies, everything ends. This is why the church is calling us we don't do this often throughout the year, right? This is just the end of the year. To reflect on that concept very deeply. I remember the first time that I thought of death in a, in a serious way, it, it jolted me, right? Many of us don't, don't think about that much. I hadn't thought about it before. When I did, I, I honestly think that I panicked. Suddenly one is forced to ask oneself what to do about that moment, that moment that nobody can imagine. What would happen? How scary is that moment? What happens during it? What is the first thing one sees after? The natural thing we do is avoid the thought, most of us, but the reality is that we will have to face it. So if I have to face death and I need to ask if I am ready for it, I need to ask what I believe about it. If I believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was, God, truth, life, then to me, death is only an instantaneous moment of transition, and that's all it is. It is nothing to be feared or to have panic about. Death no longer is fearful because it's what I've actually waited for all my life, because it is actually just a transition for the thing that I want to go to. With focus, with intention. Death to a Christian 
It is like someone who's waiting to take his board exams or to play in the Olympics, to, to have their, their shot at the Olympics. It's a fearful day for sure because as humans we get anxious. But if I've studied like crazy, I actually want to just get the exam over with. If I've trained like crazy, I just want that day to hurry up and come. Because I've already given all I could do for it. My training or my studying have been my preparation for the day of reckoning. And suddenly I'm not afraid of that day anymore because I've been prepping and I've been waiting for it. It's a day that I actually want. People think it's morbid to think about death, but it's no more morbid to think about that than in the exam or the competition if I don't see death negatively. It's morbid only if I see death negatively, and that's why the questions were asked. Because those questions compel us to realize whether or not we're living preparing for the death, or if we're living running away from the death. It's the difference between the person studying for exams or prepping for the competition versus the one who sits there lazily and tells him or herself that he ought to just enjoy himself for a season. For those people, the day of the test or competition, they are fearful days, right? A person who has done nothing to prepare for the exam is going to be very afraid on the day of the exam. But a person who's been preparing for so long won't have that same fear. For those people, if you tell them, hey, you really ought to get ready for the big day, they will think you're someone who's lame, a buzzkill, uptight, boring, and a host of other things. Why? Because they don't want to do the work. But the problem is, whether you like it or not, the test day will arrive, right? So you can use whatever words you want to avoid preparation, but the day of the test is going to come. There's going to be a, competi a competition day. The Olympics will come every four years. You had full control over the outcome of that day. And it was up to you what you wanted to do in preparation. For us, we were made to be immortal. And our Lord granted us immortality again when he died and rose. This is what baptism is for. He made death not a scary thing because he slayed it for us. But the goal of life, the meaning of life, is in our union with God. Because he is the reason why we exist. When people meditate on the meaning of God, what is the meaning of, or meaning of life? It's very simple, right? It's, it's very simple. It is God. Because we didn't create ourselves. We, weren't, we didn't make ourselves born. None of you brought life to the world. None of you brought life to yourself. The meaning of our existence is found only in our unity with our Creator. Because He's the very reason that we exist. He is the reason that we have life to begin with. Consequently, I ought to expect death and wait for it. I have to be watchful, as our Lord said in these Gospels. So how do I do this? So for this, we mostly turn to the Desert Fathers, because the Desert Fathers most contemplated on death. Everybody was ready to die the world in different ways. There's the ascetics, there's the martyrs, there's the confessors, and the monastics. So the monastics are the ones who wrote the most about it, and the martyrs are who we will be celebrating, God willing, tonight and for the next period of the church until the Feast of the Cross. Number one, remember death, because that's the same as remembering the goal. When I was going through the paradise, there's so many one-liners. Mother Amasera used to say, whenever I put my foot to the ladder and go up, before I send it, I set my death before mine eyes. Every action she's doing, 
She's remembering that she's gonna pass away. An old man used to say, I await death evening and morning every day. Another old man said, whenever I bring the bar down to the loom, I remember death. There's a whole bunch of one-liners of all these people remembering death, and it's not because they are morbid. They're doing it for their work, they're doing it as they climb, they're going before they go to bed. Um, in fact, um, another hermit, actually the same hermit, when he was working, I noticed that every once in a while he'd pull a paper out of his pocket, read it, and put it back. And so I asked him, what, are you, what is your paper? And he said, I have two pieces of paper, one in my pocket and one on my work desk. He goes, whenever I have a stray thought, whenever I'm thinking of something wrong, whenever I have the desire to do wrong, I pull out the piece of paper and all it says on it is death. And I remember the goal and I put it back so that I can keep myself pure from doing evil. So first is to have in our minds remembering that we're going to die. Because it's the same as remembering the goal. Okay, is to move away from it the negativity so that it's not a, a morbid thing. But to remember that that day is inevitable, to keep it before us because it's going to happen. It's like the person who has the exam, always remembering every day I have an exam eventually and I need to prepare. Second is to learn to die to the world so that death isn't something new to you. What that means is don't let things own you. Or it means that you're a slave to that thing. So if I want to do well in my exams, for example, I can't, I can want it all I want, right? I might actually want to do well on my exam, but I need to have discipline to do that. So I can care a lot about the exam, but if I don't choose studying over everything other than studying, well, I'm going to fail, even though I wanted to pass, right? I might even have had the really good intention. It might not even be that I forgot about the exam. I might remember it, but if I don't actually do the work, I'm not going to be able to make it. So the idea is that I don't let these other things that I like take dominion over the thing that I have to prepare for. So the monks took this to the extreme um, in that they actually died to everything, right, completely everything when they went to the monastery. Um, but we can learn from them, right? St. Macarius said, there are three things um, that are right that people should set before themselves at all times. The remembrance of death should be before him at every hour. He should die to every man, and he should be constant always in his mind toward our Lord. Lord, For if a man have not the remembrance of his death before at all seasons, he will not be able to die. And if he not die to every man, he will be unable to constantly be before God. What he's saying is that if a person remembers death, it means he will put that thought above everything else and cast away thoughts not related to it. But if a person doesn't put the goal in mind all the time, he's going to fall to the other stuff and lose that goal. So if I want to be an Olympian, for example, and then I get distracted by my, my FOMO, my, my fear of missing out, and decide that I need to just chill um, all the time, I'm going to completely forget about being an Olympian. Or I'll just never make it even if I do want it. That's, that's what he's saying, right? Is that if I don't put it in my mind and I don't push away the things that take me away from the goal, I'm not going to get there. The third thing is to let your behavior match your goal. St. Anthony the Great said, Let us put God before our eyes continually. Remember death 
and Christ our Redeemer, not choose the world and everything which is in, not choose the world or bodily pleasure, die to this life so that we may find life in God, because God will require it of us in the day of judgment. Be hungry and thirsty and naked, weep and mourn, watch and groan in your heart, examine yourself and see if you are worthy of God. Love labor and tribulations that you may find God and treat with contempt and despise the body so your soul may live. That sounds violent and aggressive, right? But what he's saying is the only way to get anywhere is through hard work, right? To hate means to not choose. So he's saying don't choose the things that distract you. Don't choose the things that, that remove you from it. You have to have a behavior that matches what you want to do. Words are not enough. The actions have to match it. The fourth thing is to keep yourself away from the things that kill your progress, right? So we said, don't do the things that ruin it, but also to stay away from the things that kill your progress. Abba Piman, whose feast was yesterday, said, we need nothing except a watch, a watchful and strenuous heart. And our Lord said in the gospel that we just read, Jesus answered them, Be careful not to be led astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many people astray. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Do not be troubled. All of this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, plagues, earthquakes in various places. And so, what our Lord is saying is the things that lead you astray won't seem like it at first. People will distract you from your goal by telling you all sorts of reasons why you should leave your goal, why you should leave your work, right? Yes, I, I know you need to be an Olympian, but you don't you know that people are striking on the streets, right? Don't you know that people are suffering, right? They're going to bring big ideals to you saying, how is it that you're wasting your time on wanting to be an Olympian when all of this stuff is happening around you, which at first will sound like a big deal, right? And that might be enough to distract you to say, you're right, I do need to worry about that. But what seems like a big deal at first, eventually will be distracted by anything. Then you'll start to put everything on the same category. Then it'll be, um, you know, your mom needs helps in the kitchen. So-and-so, you should go out and party with us because so-and-so is down right now. Right, so you should lift him up. And before long, you have a bunch of mini goals and have completely left your big goal. And it'll sound convincing at first. It's not going to sound like something small. So don't be distracted. And that's why Abba Piman gives us the typical transition of how we go from our focus to losing it completely. He says, Satan has three kinds of powers which precede sin. The first is error. Okay, so the first is that you just, you made a mistake, right? Which is relatively um, not, not a big deal in the sense of it's, it's rectifiable, right? It starts off with just a mistake. The second is neglect, neglect or laxity, right? Because after you start making the mistakes, now you just don't care anymore. <laughs> Right now you're lazy. So at first you, you didn't want to make the mistake. Most of us can probably think of, of habits that we formed that the first time that we did it wrong, we felt very upset about it and we felt conviction and we felt like I shouldn't have done that. But after you've done it once or twice, you start to have excuses for it, right? Then it's not a big deal. Then 
we become very lazy about even fighting it to begin with. And then the third is lust. The third is now I want it, right? First it was, it's a mistake. Second step was, I'm not putting the effort. The third step was, I don't even care, I want it, right? He's saying this is the transition that people take. And when error becomes neglect, neglect brings forth lust, and by lust men fell. But if we watch against error, we will not fall, because we're not going to take that whole route. And that's why we ought not to trust ourselves or look outside of our scope or our ability, right? Is, is not to even have that dialogue. They said of Abahor, who's from Armenia, um, that for 20 years in the church, I've used the example a lot, for 20 years in the church, he never once lifted his eyes and saw the roof thereof, right? And the reason why he did this is not because the roof is evil, right? The reason why he did this was to say, I don't trust me. I don't trust my eyes. If I look around, I'm either going to lust, or I'm going to judge, or I'm going to criticize, or I'm going to find something. It's going to become an error, and then it's going to develop into something more. Don't be cocky, right? We have to be aware of these things. One of the old man, men came to another old man who was his companion, and as they were walking together, one of them said, I have died to the world. So one monk, one elder monk said to the other, you know what, I've made it, right? I've, I've died to the world. And his companion said, have no confidence in yourself that this is so until you die. <laughs> For although you say you have died, Satan is not dead, <laughs> right? Which is a very good answer. So you think that you've, you've managed this? Well, your enemy isn't dead and your enemy has a goal of bringing you down. Okay, so don't ever assume for yourself that you've made it, that you're set, that you're no longer vulnerable. Beware of lies. That's why Christ said, if anyone tells you, behold, Christ is here or there, don't, don't believe them. Um, and what he's saying is, people are going to engage you in debate. right? These are people going to other people and saying, no, like your opinion is wrong, this has already happened. But engaging in debate is, is not a good idea. It will distort your own understanding of your own goal. Don't be deceived. Okay, Be objective. And know, the fifth thing, know that people will not like you for this. Because you're going to seem the most boring of all. right? People don't like the one who's not at all the engagements, who doesn't react to things the way that they do. They will deliver you up to oppression and they will kill you. You will be hated by all the nations for my name's sake. This is what Christ said. People don't know how to react very well to people who are focused and determined especially if what they're doing is different from what you are doing. When a person is confronted with something that challenges his own reality, the first thing that most people do is attack it, right? When somebody sees that someone's behaving differently from them, usually they don't ask to understand. Usually the first thing they'll do is attack the other person's viewpoint or position. If he finds others like himself, then they unite against the idea that's being proposed. Think of any confrontation that you have had, in which you are not dialoguing, okay, trying to have a truth, but arguing. You probably attacked whatever the person said or the decision that the person in front of you made. And then you might have also added into it, even so-and-so disagrees with you. You'll name some other person, right, to bring in the fight. You're going to bring in other people as your, as your, your backup. 
People will do this to you if you are focused on your heavenly life. If you don't choose to party, to cheat, to steal, to be licentious, to be loose, you're going to be going against the grain and you will not be treated well for it. People are not going to say, good for you, I'm really impressed by what you're doing. Right? They're not going to be kind about it. You will be disliked for wanting that. We see this already. It's shameful to be a Christian and people are more than happy to mock Christianity today. But remember two things. Preparing for death doesn't mean being miserable. All right? It doesn't mean being miserable. It means to live purposefully. There's a big difference. Right? Living miserable means I'm not allowed to do this, I'm not allowed to do that, I'm not allowed yada yada. That's not, that's not the idea here. So the, the message here is not to say, have no fun, don't smile, be miserable, walk out of here and feel like you're the scum of the earth. No. Right? It's to live purposefully. If you study for exams, does it mean that you have no fun ever? I hope not. That means that you're actually not balanced. Right? But it means that you choose your fun according to your goal. You will still have friends. You will still have a good time. You will still eat and play and interact with humanity, but you will do this in a way that doesn't detract or take away from your goal. The same with Christianity. Have fun, right? We're, we're, we're not anti-fun. Have fun, socialize, talk, play, go hiking, play games, make friends, right? Do things that are enjoyable. The God created the world for man, right? He didn't create an evil world. He created a good world and he called it good. Everything that he made in creation, he called good. <coughs> So it isn't wrong for us to enjoy our time and to have fun with one another. Do all this but subject it to the goal. The goal is your resurrection, not your death. The goal is your resurrection. And if I live according to this goal, I can live and have it. This is why Christ said not, I came here because of your death. He said, I came here, even though that was something he was solving, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Right? He's saying to enjoy it. And even the apostles who followed him, right? at one point he said, everyone must follow, leave all. And the disciples said, we have left everything and followed you. And Christ said to them, there is no one who has left father, mother, brother, sister, family, who I will not reward in, not only in the kingdom to come. So he said, yes, there's a reward in heaven, but also here on earth. Right? Which means that even here on earth, he wanted them to enjoy um, a blessing. So preparing for death doesn't mean being miserable. It means being purposeful. The second thing is to remember that you will have help. It's not like you will not have help in this. A person who struggles for good has help. You'll have community. You'll have teachers. You'll have friends. And the comfort of the prize itself is also a comfort. Our Lord said... Where sin abounds, where there's a lot of sin, where there's a lot of evil, my grace will more abundantly. So he says that if your environment is really difficult, I'm going to give you more of my help. Right? He's not saying I give this amount of help and that's all that there is to it. He says, no, if your situation is difficult, I will give you the more grace that you need to deal with that situation. And after all of this, some people might dismiss all of this as crazy talk and wave it away. But the elders of the monastery warned about this from the, as early as the 4th century. I was very shocked to read this as I was browsing through the paradise. One of the elders said, 
The prophets compiled the scriptures, and the fathers have copied them. And the men who came after them learned to repeat them by heart. Our titas and our giddos, we hear about them having memorized the Bible. But then has come this generation and its children, he's talking about the last times, which I, I think is ours, who have placed them in, in cupboards as useless things. Right? That we have to ask, are we one of those people who just says these are a bunch of words and throws our Bible in a corner or in a cupboard? Instead, let us take the approach of St. Anthony, who said, when we rise up in the morning each day, let us not assume that we're going to live until evening. And as we lay ourselves to bed every night, let us not assume that we will live till morning. Because if we have this in our minds, we won't sin. We won't offend our neighbor. We won't get angry. We'll be living every moment like it's last, our last, right? Which the world sells as well. They say, live, seize the day, carpe diem, live like there's no tomorrow. So yes, the, the Desert Fathers also say, live like there's no tomorrow. But, right, we do it towards the goal of resurrection, the actions that lead us there. So let us become true soldiers who are at war because we are at war. We are in a spiritual war. And we're hoping and waiting for the end of the battle, which is our death and resurrection. This is what we're striving for. Warriors who know our goal, our cause, our mission, and who every day put that goal in front of us and shut ourselves out to the distractions. If I falter in war, if I get distracted, if I get lazy, if I don't worry about my neighbor, if I don't worry about my strength, if I don't worry about my health, I'm vulnerable. And when I'm vulnerable, not only do I fall, but my whole army falls with me because I'm one of many soldiers who are fighting. Because the day of reckoning will come on us all, the war will come to an end, and that end will surely be glorious. If you are wounded in the battle, you are a hero. If you die in battle, you are a hero. These aren't negatives. A person who falls trying is decorated. They're not, they're not cast away. They're not spurned. They're not treated with contempt. But the manner of your death will be the manner of your resurrection. If we die in Him, then we will also rise in Him, and we will be able to say with conviction that Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by His death. Death has no sting, for death is defeated. Prepare for your death, my brethren, because your death is a moment, but resurrection is your life. Glory be to our God forever and ever. Amen. To the age of ages. Amen.